Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast presented by Dream Cricket. I'm your host, Peter Delapena, and today on the show we have the 48th mayor of the great city of Indianapolis, Indiana, Mayor Greg Ballard, who served two terms in office from January 2008 until January 2016, and he was a great advocate for the cricket community while serving in office in Indianapolis, helped spearhead the project that became the Indianapolis World Sports Park, where the ICC Americas T20 World Cup Qualifier Regional Event for the Americas was hosted in May 2015, so it's six years to the month of that event that he is our guest today. He's also a proud Marine Corps vet, served 23 years in the Marines from 1978 to 2001. He will talk a little bit about how he got into the military as an Indiana boy, and then made his way into political office, where again, he was somebody who really helped contribute to American Cricket by his support for the Indianapolis World Sports Park project. But first, got some housekeeping to do. Last week on the show, I was giving my shout-outs to the new Patreons, and one of those Patreons, Patrons is PJ. Now, I'm not going to say his last name because I mangled it last week. And as somebody who has been a lifelong card-carrying member of the Mangled Names Club, I take great pride in making sure I get people's names right when I meet them and get to know them and somehow I really butchered PJ's last name I don't want to commit the same mistake again so what did I do I reached out to PJ directly and said PJ how do I get your name right you got to give me the correct pronunciation guide and I thought rather than butchering it again why don't I just go straight to the horse's mouth so PJ I'll hand the floor over to you how do you pronounce your last name hi PDP thank you for the shout out I always love hearing my name on air good holes is perfectly fine but Technically, it is Goodholz. Goodholz. Technically, like a Flemish, Dutch, Belgian, Flemish, but it's kind of a German, like Goed, Goodholz. 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 But when I meet people in America, I say I'm Goodholz. Goodholz. Well, there it is. Thanks, PJ. And thank you also to a couple of new Patreon subscribers. A couple of Eagles have jumped on board in the last week. Andrew Nixon, he is somebody who has been flying the flag for Associate Cricket for many, 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 many years now. So it's great to have him on board as a supporter of the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast presented by Dream Cricket. And also Justin Giel. Justin, who is very much involved in the organizing and running of the USA Cricket under national championships out in texas justin thank you for your support of the stars and stripes cricket podcast again presented by dream cricket their pavilion shop you can get all your cricket kit requirements from top of the line english will bats made by all the top manufacturers as well as helmets gloves pads jerseys highlight dvds books and more get 10 percent off all orders over 400 dollars using coupon code dcusa that's dcusa go to shop.dreamcricket.com to take advantage of that offer today dream cricket Academy is located at 400 Apgar Drive in Somerset, New Jersey, just a mile off of Exit 12 on Interstate 287. For more information, call 908-938-3787 or email cricket at dreamcricket.com. That's dreamcricket.com. Today's podcast is also sponsored by Musa Cricket Stadium, the first and original turf wicket facility in the state of Texas. For more information, call 713-534-2195. 
that's Moosa Cricket Stadium in Pearland, Texas, just a half hour south of downtown Houston, the first and original turf wicket facility in Texas. And now, here is today's guest on the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast, presented by Dream Cricket, former mayor of the great city of Indianapolis, Greg Ballard. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Peter. Thanks for asking me. I very much appreciate it. Indianapolis is famous in cricket circles, anyway, for the Indianapolis World Sports Park. Outside of the traditional cricket centers, it's it's one of the first facilities that opened up to host a major ICC event in terms of the associate world for the USA. They hosted the ICC America's T20 Championship in May 2015, just about six years ago now. Um, And you played a a significant role in that, so we'll we'll talk about that uh, a bit later. But first, it is the month of May. It's the time of the Indianapolis 500 in Indianapolis. What is it like just generally over the years, the significance of this event in the city? How do you put it into context for for somebody outside of Indianapolis, somebody outside of the USA? There's people listening to this from elsewhere in the world. For such a special event, those who aren't locals, as somebody who's born and brought up in Indianapolis, how would you characterize what the Indianapolis 500 means? Uh, it means quite a bit. When I was the mayor, I traveled quite a bit around the world. Obviously, I was a 23-year Marine, and I traveled a lot of bit, a lot then also. And the one thing that people knew about Indianapolis was the 500. It was a connecting point almost uh, for everything. I, I can remember when I was the mayor, I was in a hotel lobby in India, and I said, some, somebody asked me where I was from, who worked at the hotel. I said, Indianapolis, and he goes, 500. And, and that was the sort of thing that happened to me all, all everywhere uh, when I traveled both in the Marines and, and as the mayor. So people around the world do know it. It, it has been the largest one-day sporting event in the world for decades. I mean, somewhere between 280, 300,000 every year. So we know how to put on big events and have done it for quite a while now. And it is, uh, but it's not just the race. Uh, if you're in Indianapolis, you know that it's an entire month worth of festivities. The track has their all their stuff that they're doing with qualifying and different races and, and different things that they do. But there's also something called the 500 Festival, which is separate from the track, but uh, affiliated. And they have all sorts of events also all through the month of May that bring in children and, and different communities around, around the city and uh, the parade and all of those things. Is, is, I think it's the third largest parade in the country. And uh, it's so the, the month of May is very special in the city of Indianapolis. It's not just the race, but around the world, people know about the race. And it's pretty clear it's a, it's a big event still around the world. You touched on it. Uh, you're a, a Marine vet, 23 years in the Marines. So I guess growing up in, in Indianapolis, first off, you went to, to Cathedral High, which has got a proud sports tradition. There's quite a lot of NFL players uh, who have graduated from Cathedral High. Did you yourself play sports at Cathedral? No, actually, when I went to Cathedral, uh, this is hard to believe because you you know uh, my stature right now. I was five foot three and eighty pounds when I went to high school. <laughs> That's hard to believe. When I entered in high school, I was five foot three and eighty pounds, and even when I left, I was probably one hundred and ten. I was five nine. Uh, I grew up. I grew a little bit more in college, uh, but I was I was actually a very very small skinny kid, and all I did was play baseball. I had good hand eye coordination, but all I could really play there. I thought I was going to play basketball. I really wanted to play basketball. That was my uh, that was my passion. That's what I really wanted to do. But uh, I did not realize that I was a shrimp. I mean, I just didn't get that point <laughs> early on. But uh, I got that point in high school when uh, you know my freshman front line. And you got to remember, this is in the '60s, late '60s. Yeah. Our freshman front line, which frankly was recruited, 
uh, average six six. And and that, on those <laughs> days, if you had one six foot, you know, six four person on the varsity, yeah, it was a big deal. Now, but I had, you know, we had a freshman front line six six averaging, and so uh, you know, and the guards were six foot and five ten, and on the freshman team, and I was five foot three and eighty pounds, and so uh, I wasn't really a <laughs> a factor at all. Uh, so I, but I, you can't play baseball when you're small. So I did that for yeah. I think three years. So, what what was that like in that era? Obviously, over the course of history, basketball in Indiana is is a huge deal, especially high school basketball. In that time in the late '60s, how would you characterize the popularity and just the the passion and the atmosphere for high school basketball in particular in Indiana and that part of Indianapolis compared to I guess what it is in in modern times? Well, I, I think it's a, I think it's a little less passionate now. To be fair, other people would say otherwise. It still produces a lot of uh, great players. We've got Indianapolis area alone probably has 11, 12 players in the NBA right now. I mean, it's a, unbelievably, uh, statistically unbelievable number uh, in the in the pros right now. That said, uh, the high school tournament is now has classes, and so. Uh, it doesn't have the fervor that it used to have. Right? And, but to be fair, the, the big schools, you know, they like to win and they're usually the best teams, but the small schools like to uh, like to win the state championship also. But back in the 60s and 70s and those, those sorts of times, winning the state championship was not something that te- teams wanted to do it, but they really aspired to win their sectional uh, and maybe their regional because that was their neighbors, that was their people they knew, uh, you know, down, down the road on the farm. And that sort of thing. And that was really their aspirations. Getting to the uh, state finals was, you know, just out of the out of the picture for most of them because it was single class. And usually the big schools did win. I mean, there's a very famous movie called Hoosiers out there. That's based on a true story. The Mail and Miracle. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so it's a, it's. A, and so those things can happen, especially when you have a basic uh, you know, five players, if you will, and, and a few subs. But. Uh, those were rare, and I at that time reading the sectional or maybe the regional was really the highlight of the year, and that was and that satisfied everybody. But it's kind of funny because when people are still clamoring for single class basketball here in the state of Indiana, but the commissioner say we're not going back. He says I, I hear all the time about people who want single class, single class, but I never hear from the small schools, and that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Because <laughs> now the small schools can win a state championship regularly. You went to Indiana, not for basketball. But during your time there, I believe you graduated in 76, and 76 was a national championship season for IU, uh, the first of Bobby Knight's uh, national championships, three national titles in Indiana. Uh, again, similar question. I mean, that, that time uh, of history and basketball history, what was it like being on campus for, for that season? Well, it was really kind of unbelievable the passion uh, of indiana and i was just talking here last week with somebody about the indiana purdue rivalries uh because they were they were special but for some reason gene katie never got his purdue teams into the final four but bobby knight got there you know pretty often and won three national championships now, every true iu fan knows that the 75 team was actually better than the 76 team uh, you may not remember all this uh, but I, iu people do that they were undefeated going into the regional final and scott may they're all american their player of the year he was a junior at the time broke his wrist in a previous game and he came back to kind of start that game but he had a cast on his wrist so he wasn't quite as effective and uh, kentucky beat him in the regional final 92 to 90 
Uh, they were and IU was undefeated at that time. They had two subs in there at the time called Steve Green and John Oskowski. Steve Green was the starter that year. Uh, Oskowski was the super sub, and they had a really deep team that year in '75. But they lost in the regional final because Scott May was hurt. The next year, they they lost uh, those two guys, Green and Oskowski, but still had uh, other people coming in and and won the national championship. They were actually 63 and one in a two-year period, which is stunning, right? It's the last undefeated team. Uh, still, uh, almost had another one this year, but uh, but it was amazing. Those teams were fun to watch because I usually like to be by the court, but for those teams, believe it or not, I liked being higher up and sometimes in the balcony because you could see the plays develop. Yeah, and it was really kind of beautiful basketball to watch. Yeah, it wasn't uh, very much one-on-one at all. It was really kind of team sport. That's how I did it with his motion offense and his uh, you know his defense, which was unbelievable. And it was fun to watch actually. One of the things you touched on there, I, I agree with. I used to work for the Creighton University uh, athletic department when I was an undergraduate there, and for the basketball games, I would sit courtside, doing stats running for the sports information right. director. And so I had a, a, one of the best seats in the house. I would sit our side of the press row was right next to the visitors team bench where the head coach's position was, and so you were right in the action, but I didn't like it. Because you were you were too close, and at times it was you couldn't see things happening. And when I was a fan, and not working events, I always preferred to sit in the front row of the upper deck, right behind one of the the nets, because yeah, you have that bird's eye view, and you can see everything on. And same thing for football. Whenever I would go to football games, we used to have giant season tickets growing up, and we would sit in our our seats were section 123, row 30. And uh, in the old Giants stadium, <laughs> and, oh my God. <laughs> I can't can't forget it. And and it was like right kind of in the in the one end zone in in the I think it was the eastern end zone, but it was like kind of in the corner, not not quite central, not right behind the goalpost, but it was kind of like in the corner, just off the angle. But you could see when there was you know a play action pass, big play developing, you could see downfield if if right. you know the, the safety's bit and there was a, there was going to be a, a bomb downfield versus there were a couple games I've, I've sat at the 50 yard line in my life and I don't like it. Yeah. You know, theoretically that's supposed to be the best seat in the house, highest price ticket, but you can't see the plays right. develop as well. It's good for television and you understand why obviously they shoot television that angle. But if you're in, in the building, I always liked to be right behind one end or the other. So you could see how everything is unfolding kind of like a, Coach's cam point of view, I guess they call it now for the NFL. It, I understand. I mean, I was the mayor. I, you know, Colts kind of let me give, gave me free reign for everything. I didn't even have a pass. They just knew who I was, and all security let me go wherever. And the Colts didn't care if I was on the field for the game. Uh, and and, uh, and I I didn't stay on the field for the game because I the Colts were games were kind of a duty, if you will, for the for the uh, mayor. Uh, you have your own suite, and you have people in there that and then other people who want to see you throughout the game. And I kind of had a standard routine. One of them being going to see. Andrew Luck's dad, Oliver Luck, every every home game, which I did. I became pretty good friends with him. But it's great down there, and you feel it, but you can't see anything, right? Yeah. But it's being next to the players, and you can see how – because, you know, when the game starts, they get – I mean, they're ramped up. Yeah. Right? That's, that's, a, that's a sport you, you can't be relaxed on yep. at any time uh, while you're in it. But then I would love to go up to the uh, – you know, we were on the lower suite level. But uh, you could see the players the, – the plays develop from there. And when and Peyton was there uh, – I wasn't the mayor with Peyton, but uh, uh, but you could, even with luck, you could see these things develop. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, and it, it was fun. It was really, really a lot of fun. You graduated Indiana, and you you decided to enlist in the Marines. What motivated that? What what were your career options? Yeah, what, what drew you into the military? Because again, for context, uh, this would have been around 76, 77, and this is kind of coming up back at the end of the Vietnam War, which historically is not very you know remembered very in a popular way, not well supported. And the treatment of, of Vietnam vets, um, you know, there's been a lot written about that in terms of their treatment coming back home. So it, it's not exactly an optimal time in terms of being a recruiter to, to get people to come in. What what drew you into to being a Marine in particular? There's, yeah, there's a there's a long story to this, but I'll give you I'll give you the short version of it. I had about 90 hours. I actually graduated in 78. Uh, I should have graduated in 76. Should have. <laughs> right. But I was working and doing some other things. And so I kind of. Took the six-year route to the four-year degree. Nothing wrong with that. I, I did the five-year route. My oldest brother did the six-year route. He's a lawyer now. There's nothing <laughs> wrong with that. Nothing wrong with it. I became a mayor, so it kind of worked too. But the, uh, but I, uh, I kind of looked around and I saw everybody around me at that time. Again, 70s now, right? That everybody that I knew was going to work for a company and was going to go to work for them for 40 years, work 50 weeks a year, spend two weeks in Florida. Uh, and they were going to do that for 40 years, and that was their life. And then they were going to die. And I thought, I'm, I'm not sure I want to go that route. And so I did. I joined the Marines. I mean, it was crazy. I went into with 90 hours done and went into the services. And uh, this is a, kind of a funny story. And I was going to go talk to the Army, Navy, and Air Force and say, you know, what should I do? I, again, I only had one year to go with 30 hours left. But uh, they were, Army, Navy, and Air Force were busy. Uh, the Marine was hanging out in the hallway, and he was an old drill sergeant, Gunny Paxton, Gunnery Sergeant Paxton. I still remember. And he comes out in the hallway, and I'm just a, kind of like a scared 20 or 21 year old kid at the time. And he comes out and says, Hey, want to join the Marine Corps? And I'm not exaggerating that, by the way. <laughs> and and it was, I was scared to death. I was scared to death. I went in and talked to him talked to, uh, for two hours, told me to get my butt back into college and uh, finish up and come in as an officer. And that's essentially what I did. And you were in there for 23 years. Did you now, what, you're, you're living in various places overseas. I know I, I read you were in Japan at one point uh, and also stationed in different parts of the U.S. Did you come across cricket on any of your military travels overseas? Because when I've, I've spoken to a lot of people during my uh, journalism career, and I always find it interesting in terms of how people discover cricket as Americans, and the two most common ways that I encounter people discovering cricket are one, they've got a significant other who is from a traditional cricket playing country, they, you know, and, they, and it's their boyfriend, girlfriend, or they marry this person who might be from India, or Pakistan, or Jamaica, Guyana, whatever. Or a lot of people have served in the military or worked in some other diplomatic capacity, and wherever they've been stationed around the world, that is how they've encountered it and experienced it. And in some ways, it's been a, a way to um, build relationships with the local community if they're, if they're serving overseas in, a, in either, again, in the military or diplomatic capacity. And I'm just curious um, if you ever came across it during your military career or did your first encounter with cricket come afterward? Afterward, actually. I don't remember anything. I was I spent two tours in Okinawa in Japan. Uh, I was, uh, my last, uh, I did Panama and, uh, and the Middle East the Gulf War 1991, I did those two in kind of in conflict, uh, conflicts. Uh, but, and then I was spent my last three years in Europe out of Stuttgart, but I did not encounter cricket over there either. 
so it really was as the mayor and primarily because I was very close to the Indian community in the Indianapolis area. And as you know, uh, cricket in India is, is a pretty big deal. <laughs> it's on the front pages. It's not on the front pages of the sports section. It's on the front pages. And so I, that's really how I got uh, looking at it. And I looked at it from a couple different ways, uh, just so you know this. I, I, I created a sister city in Hyderabad, India. Uh, and when I became the mayor, again, because of my marine background, I knew that we kind of had to expand out our reach. Uh, I believe this global economy, Indianapolis has to compete globally, that sort of thing. So I created sister city relationships uh, in Brazil, India, China, and England. Uh, kind of in uh, partnering with what we did in uh, Indianapolis and, and Hyderabad is kind of like their pharmaceutical and IT capital that fits a little bit with us, certainly in Indianapolis. And then, you know, cricket is a big, is, is huge over there. And so I, I kind of looked at it and when I did a little bit of research on it, because I'm always curious, you, know, you find out it's the second largest participatory sport in the world. I'm thinking, oh, oh. So um, that's pretty interesting. And we are, we have been billing ourselves the amateur sports capital of the world yep. since the 70s. But in truth, that was the amateur sports capital for American sports and Olympic sports. Yep. And it wasn't necessarily uh, for the world sports, if you will. And so I looked at it from that point of view. And uh, the other piece is everything we did as in my administration was really about talent attraction. So pretty much every move, uh, no matter what the discipline was, was about talent attraction. Now, in central Indiana, uh, the Indian community, which I was pretty close to, seemed like everybody that I knew was in the medical field, the IT field, or was an engineer. Mm. All the creek people seemed to be in those uh, disciplines. And I thought, well, maybe, th maybe this is a, something I need to look at as a talent attraction. Uh, to bring those sorts of folks in. And then I find out that Cummins Engine, Fortune 100 company, based out of Columbus, Indiana, built a cricket pitch uh, for their engineers down there. And kind of as a, as a way to say, hey, we, we appreciate you being here. And this is, uh, so we, they built it for, uh, for the families down there in Columbus, Indiana that were working for them. So uh, I just kind of put all, this piece, all these pieces together, like, okay, maybe we need to look at this. And so that's kind of, that was the genesis of the original thought process of the, of the World Sports Park. Ben, did you, I guess, come across it first down in Columbus, is, visiting that, that field and um, knowing the workers at, at the company had, had had that access to the field? Or, or did you first kind of see it in Hyderabad and on any, any kind of trip in Hyderabad? Or where, where did you first kind of see it in person? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I really, I, I would assume that it was Hyderabad. It wasn't Cummins. I actually never saw the, the field down in uh, Columbus. I knew it was there, uh, but I think Hyderabad is probably where I, I thought, I got to look at this. I got to look at this sort of thing. And uh, and then I, I kind of brought it back and there was different pieces to it. I was lucky enough that when I started thinking about this and putting it together, then people around the world started kind of coming to me and asking me. I mean, I got a personal tour of Lords in London, right? And uh, <laughs> that was crazy. That was really a lot of fun to do that. And everywhere I went in India or Australia or wherever, people took me to their cricket stadiums. I mean, I was kind of a known commodity uh, in this in this regard. And so it was a lot of fun. <laughs> really a lot of fun. I, I should show you that I, I don't know if you can see this or not. Yeah, go for it. Okay, so this is a cricket bat, right? 
Yeah. In Australia and has the national team members of Australia, India, and Sri Lanka on it. So just put it put it in the middle of the screen because it's going to kind of cut you out a little bit. Yeah, there you go. Perfect. So I, uh, so I don't know if you can see that or not. And it was given, you see it's still in plastic. And I have carried it with me for uh, quite a while, all the different places we moved here uh, since I was the mayor. And uh, because it means it means something to me. I mean, I got a couple other cricket bats too, but I was I, I I'm, I'm down here with Myrtle Beach, and that thing's still in my place after a couple <laughs> of town fight moves. And so it's meant something to me. But they were kind enough to do that. And but uh, and the, but you find out the people the passion the people have for the game, and can we do something about that in America? And can we do something about that in Indianapolis? And uh, and so that was again that was kind of how it all started. I wish I'd done a couple things differently. We could talk about that, but uh, it was, uh, you know, the pitches are still there, and uh, the ICC told me that one of them they built two, they built them a little bit differently, but one of them they told me when I was the mayor that that's that by far the best cricket field in, in North America. They loved it and they thought it was terrific. So, one one of the things that stood out to me when I first came there in 2015, I actually took a trip there in 2012. I want to say it was October 25th, right after my brother got married. My brother got married in Philadelphia, and I took a road trip. Me and my wife took a road trip after the wedding, went through um, from Philadelphia. We drove down to Louisville, went to Churchill Downs to, oh, wow. to take a tour of the facility there, and then drove across to, I believe, we went through Memphis. I remember we did some, we went to Graceland. I was going to ask you. I'm a big Elvis fan. I'm a big Elvis guy. I love my Elvis. So I hadn't been to Graceland at that point, and that was a, that was a thrill. Uh, we went to St. Jude's uh, while we were in Memphis as well and took oh, a tour of St. Jude's, and that was that was incredible just to see everything that they do up close and in person. And I think we might have even gone as far west as St. Louis to see the Gateway Arch. Not 100%. But then we, but then we snaked back through Indianapolis on the way back. And it was specifically, I wanted to see where the field was, where they were going to, I knew the construction was in progress. Yep. And when I first went there, it was just a big mound of dirt and there, a lot of stuff was being dug up. And I, it was kind of hard to visualize, like, how is this going to be a world-class facility? I, I'd seen the blueprint and I'd covered covered that when in, the story kind of plans were initially taking fold in 2009. And then things started to pick up steam a little bit a few years later. But I was kind of struggling to kind of visualize it. And then when I came back in, in 2014, 2015, I was blown away because, as you said, it really was a world-class facility. I know Mark Parham was involved, who was a pitch consultant from New Zealand. He works in, in Auckland and Eden Park. And having conversations with him in terms of his input and how he helped give some consulting work to lay the outfield, lay the square, the turf square. And one of the things that stood out to me, I'll never forget, was that first tournament, the ICC Americas tournament in 2015, May 2015, I think it was the fourth or fifth day, there was just out of nowhere this flash thunderstorm. And a lot of grounds, they look nice, but then the big test comes with the drainage. And I know for for the ground in Florida, in, in Lauderhill, even though that's, that's more of a proper stadium facility, in Indianapolis, you didn't have kind of the outside the boundary infrastructure. But in, in Florida, yeah, they've got this big pavilion and they've got stadium seating, but the drainage historically was horrendous. And anytime it rained, especially in a place like South Florida where you've got hurricane season and all that, there was, was just no hope of match getting through. So this storm, I'm, I've got that in the back of my mind of how poor the drainage was historically in Florida. 
And this flash thunderstorm comes through, and it was epic. I mean, biblical thunderstorm. Yeah. Stuff, it, and it's just hammering down. Uh, traditional kind of Midwestern thunderstorm. And it was coming down for a good hour, hour and a half. And there were big, big puddles forming on the outfield. Huge puddles. I mean, it was, looked like it, the field was like properly flooded. Rain stops. Sun comes back out. And it was it was like this vacuum cleaner just <laughs> took the water away. And I kid you not, 45 minutes later, from the time the rain stopped, they were back on the field to play. Yeah. From, where, was, uh... from when it looked like the match might be wiped out because there were puddles forming on the field. And you could tell just architecturally in the design work and the framework how they laid you know the sand-based outfield and all that. They'd done it right. There was a lot of thought and expertise that was put into it. And talking to Mark Graham, he said, yeah, yeah, there's at the moment there's no – stands there's there's no press box or media box but within the boundary rope this is as good as anything in new zealand and it, it's an internet it's a true international standard ground and and I, so from that standpoint the fact that there was this kind of crown jewel in right. indianapolis uh you know again people don't necessarily think of indianapolis when they associate with cricket but you know you you put a lot of work and in, into spearheading that project and making sure it got to completion during your your uh, time as mayor. Um, just just yeah, having having cricket be put on the map in Indianapolis. What what do you think having a facility like that did for I guess the exposure of Indianapolis outside of of the state and, and beyond America and other parts of the world? Like you said, you know having Hyderabad as a sister city, and then also. Um, you know, what do you think Indianapolis provided to the cricket community within the U.S. specifically? Well, I, I think we could have provided more if we, if I if I or we had done some things differently. You, you do know originally we were thinking about putting some in some seating. I think you know that. Yep. And then we decided not to because uh, we thought we would make it in such a way that would, we would have temporary seating as needed. I remember there was a part of the plan. It was I think it was called modular seating. There was right. part of the sprint, yeah. There was temporary seating that could be shifted around depending on what kind of event because it was officially a multi-purpose venue. And so if depending on cricket or lacrosse or Gaelic football or whatever was being hosted, there was some flexibility in terms of how things could be shifted around. But yeah, there was this modular seating plan that was initially in place. Right, because it, it it wasn't just cricket that's out there hurling which was a big deal because the people who came through in all these regional tournaments and hurling said that was the best field they ever saw in their life. Uh, and they weren't on the cricket fields. They were, they were on the, uh, the hurling fields and, and obviously rugby and other, other sports were in the area also. So we were We went away from that because one of the most uh, biggest companies, not the biggest company in the country about modular seating is, you know, I think was within 60 miles of Indianapolis. And so we thought we should do that. We wanted to originally lay cable for TV and, Put all these pieces together in such a way now and i don't know if you know what happened on this uh but uh, i didn't i didn't necessarily get ahead of myself but i really assumed that people would enjoy this this is the amateur sports capital of the world we know the importance of governing bodies we know these different things um, and so those things were in the back of my head that we're going to be able to make this work uh, but when we started putting the tournament together which we, we should talk about uh, you know, it kind of kind of fell apart a little bit. But a part of this was I went to Hyderabad on my I think on my second must have been on my second trip, and I, I announced to a business group there that you know we're building cricket in 
Indianapolis. Uh, they had big cheer and all of that. And then that hit the Times of India, which then hit uh, a political columnist here in the city of Indianapolis, and he wrote a stadium that I can't believe that Indianapolis is going to build a cricket stadium. Right? That's kind of what it was. And so that gave my political opposition, if you will, the wherewithal and then the, the strength to start um, pushing against this thing that I was building. Now, you have, you have to understand what you saw when you came out there. That whole area two years before was waist high weeds. Yeah. Waist high weeds. And we took it all down. It was a park, but it was waist high weeds. Had no, there was one building there that you might have seen as you drive in. But other than that, it was nothing. And so I, you know, I spent this money and I had I had the money for something called Rebuild Indy to make a park there, to make these great playing fields for all these different sports that I thought would be an attraction for the city. And unfortunately, some people started coming against us and, and the, the counselors uh, actually held a press conference out there while it was still under construction and said, this, this really upsets me, said, we need to make Indianapolis cricket proof need to make Indianapolis cricket proof. That's what our counselors were saying at a press conference, which really upset me, obviously. But so we started getting opposition. And since most money has to go through the council, then I, you know, I had to pull back some things. And the TV cabling is not in there, which I was hoping to at least have the, the ability to place TV cable as necessary, that sort of thing. So those, those sorts of opposition things were coming forward at the time, which really upset me. Uh, but I mean, it is, it is what it is. We, we got the fields done and, you know, some of my administration was wondering why I was going through all this agony, political agony, but actually I never worried so much about that sort of thing. My, my team did, but, uh, but I was, I was having to go through all of that just to get the thing built. And we, but we stopped a couple million dollars short of what we wanted to do. But I, I'm thinking I'm building a, you know, I, I think we put $5 million into this thing. Again, a lot of us tearing down the weeds, right? And then right. Building great sports fields for all these different sports, cricket being one of them, which got us a lot of attention. And I was mentioning it, but if I had kept it on the down low a little bit more, maybe, maybe we could have uh, advanced it a little bit more. But, uh, but so I, I kind of had to put up with that uh, at the time because the ICC was great to me. I don't, I don't know if you know this or not. I, see, I was met with them in DC and they, they were terrific to me that, through all of this. And I think they wanted to move their North American headquarters from Toronto to Indianapolis. But once I left being the mayor, I voluntarily, you know, retired, if you will, after eight years. I think I think I went to Colorado, if I'm not mistaken. And because um, I don't think my successor was overly, overly uh, interested in it. But uh, but the field is still there. From what I understand, the field is still there and still in pretty good shape. So uh, I was having out the Chief 20. But so that was kind of uh, as much as I w- really wanted to build this thing up, I think, I do think if I kept that a little bit more quiet instead of announcing, I didn't think the Times of India was going to write an article about it, for God's sake, uh, from Hyderabad, uh, but they did, and unfortunately that kind of led to some other things, and, and led to Kasslers out there getting it, all the TV cameras out there saying we need to make Indianapolis cricket-proof, which I took us a slight toward Indians, uh, frankly, uh, but uh, that's, that's, that's one of those things that's happened that kind of Slowed it down a little bit, if you will.
Today's edition of the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast presented by Dream Cricket is also sponsored by Musa Cricket Stadium, the first and original turf wicket facility in the state of Texas, located at 5515 McKeever Road in Perlin, just five miles off the Bailey Road exit from State Route 288, a half hour south of downtown Houston. Musa Cricket Stadium includes fully enclosed locker rooms and change rooms, plus shower facilities after a day's play, as well as outdoor nets for all your training needs. Aside from the main turf stadium ground, there is now a second ground at the facility open for use. For more information, call 713-534-2195 Musa Cricket Stadium in Pearland, Texas. One of the things I find very fascinating about that whole drama, if you will, that you just went through is the fact that for people who aren't aware, you're a Republican. Yes. And you served as a Republican mayor. And the cricket community, by and large, like you said, not just in Indianapolis, most most parts of the, of the USA is heavily, heavily, not just immigrant-based, uh, but South, South uh, Asian-based, Pakistani, Indian. And traditionally, a lot of these uh, immigrants from South Asia are tend to be Democrat or, or liberal voters. And so I don't understand exactly how a, a Democrat opposition would, would take that stance to, to try and make it cricket-proof, because like you said, that could be interpreted as a slight against the South Asian community, and that is supposed to be actually one of their voting blocks. Excellent point. And uh, they did that on another subject, too, which was uh, electric cars in the city. I always joke that I had the only Democrats in the entire country that were against clean transportation. Uh, but the because they fought me on that stuff, too, but because uh, I'm I'm trying to move to the future. Right. And on, on cricket, I'm trying to I'm trying to attract talent into the city and kind of help also uh, fulfill our mission of being the amateur sports capital of the world. And, and I wanted to bring in a tournament, which we should talk about, but the, uh, and they were, they were fighting around this, but the reason is because they were, they were, it wasn't the issue as you may know, and sometimes it's not the issue. It's just the politics, right? I I was a very popular mayor, uh, very popular Republican mayor in a democratic city. And they didn't like that. So they would, they would take me down at every chance that they could. So I think the tournament that, that you've you mentioned to referring to the 2014 USA Cricket, uh, the USA Cricket Association. Now, going back a little bit, 2015, the ICC America's Championship was the first tournament that wound up happening. But some people may forget 2014, there was a big splash that was made. Don Lockerbie was the first CEO of, of USA Cricket, who was the person you were initially dealing with in a lot of the, the discussions and groundwork trying to get the facility built in Indianapolis, the Indianapolis World Sports Park. He left in late 2010, early 2011, and then Darren Beasley took over. And he he came to an agreement with uh, you and the city to host the USA Cricket National Championships in 2014. Nah, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> well, but that that event that was supposed to be hosted in Indianapolis, it blew up. That blew up. You sat yeah, and apart that agreement. Let me, let me be clear. You want me to talk... talk? From my side of this, let's go. Yeah, let's hear your side of the story on this. Great, Don was always terrific, not much question about that. So, my original intent for a tournament because my understanding there was no national tournament at the time. Am I right? I don't think there was. It went through a couple different, uh, it wasn't always a guaranteed thing, and it it needed there was not a, a stability there in terms of it, there, there being a guaranteed 
set in stone date on the calendar that there was always going to be a national tournament. It was basically a lot of times it was dependent on did they actually have the funds? And if they did, it was just kind of a last minute thing that would spruce up. And what was attempted in Indianapolis was this was kind of supposed to be the first time where they would actually circle a date on the calendar, six, seven, eight, nine months out in advance, plan for it, make it a big event. And I remember there was a press release about the matches were going to be shown on ESPN. ESPN three had a TV rights contract. So they were really going to make it a genuine event, not just some kind of fly by night. Everybody just shows up here today, gone tomorrow. It was really supposed to be built up to be a, again, not just a local community event like they had traditionally been in the past, despite being labeled a national championship. This had TV rights to it. This was going to be broadcast around the USA and around the world. And then lots of crazy things started happening. So, so well, like from, from your point, I, you know, my original intent, because there was no national tournament, and I was uh, I was uh, a trustee of the QS Conference Mayors, so I was pretty prominent in the mayor community around the nation. I was going to write seven mayors in the different cities and say, send your best team over. We'll have a national championship and here in Indianapolis. That was what I was going to do because there was no organization that seemed to be doing anything. Right. I wasn't that familiar with USA cricket at the time. And I, again, ICC has been great all along, but I also got the sense, I want to speak for ICC, but they were not overly thrilled with USA cricket. Okay. To put so, it mild. Yeah. So, as them being their representative in, in uh, the cricket world, uh, not happy. Yeah. So we're, we're doing this. I've got, I mean, I'm holding meetings. I've, we've got websites. I've got the convention people involved. I've got the sports people involved. I've, I've got all of this going on, and, and half of them are looking at me. Are you sure, Mayor? This sounds crazy to me. And, uh, and they're saying that because USA Cricket would not respond. We wouldn't return emails. We wouldn't talk to us on the phone. We okay. I'm trying. I was going to write seven mayors and say, let's let's just have a good old tournament. I'll go get a big trophy and we'll have a good old time and do this. And uh, and I then I find out, no, wait, we can we can work with these guys now. Indianapolis is good at partnering with people. We have all these governing bodies in the city of Indianapolis. We like governing bodies, but we didn't wind up liking this one because they seemed to try to thwart us. I mean, it seemed to be active. It yeah. wasn't passive. It was active. They did. I got the sense they did not like the fact that we were doing this. We were actually doing doing this, and I think they actively went against us in some way, a lot of lots of ways, so that we could not go forward with this. I mean, they didn't help us with anything, and they actually would not return correspondence at all. We, I think, I think if I'm not mistaken, I thought Indianapolis got the TV rights, or at least talked to ESPN about this. Uh, originally, and again, TV cabling, and I thought this was going to be a, a big deal. I really just wanted a little tournament to begin with. All of a sudden, I realized, hey, maybe we could do this. In retrospect, I wish I wrote the seven mayors and held a little tournament and that not have grown into something to become a national championship. But USA Cricket was the agent uh, for ICC at the time, and they kind of, I think they kind of felt hidebound to, you know, go through them. Uh, but I think ICC really wanted Indianapolis to take hold of cricket in North America. That was my impression. Uh, and I would have been happy to do that. I wish the city, you know, I wanted the city to be happy to do that also because Indianapolis is all about partnerships. But USA Cricket, the national governing body, seemed to be fighting us on it. And so then that's, and you know, no ticket sales and uh, all those other things that kind of kind of fell apart. And I think ESPN went away. And uh, But it was not, it was, it was, it was not a pleasant experiencing 
experience dealing with USA Cricket at the time. And I, it's unfortunate because I thought this could have been something pretty neat. When you say dealing with USA Cricket, were you dealing with Darren Beasley, the CEO? Were you dealing with Gladstone Dainty? Or as it were, not dealing with these people since you said they weren't responding to your calls and messages? The latter. The latter, Gladstone Dainty. You met him in person back, I know there was a photo taken with, with Gladstone Dainty and Don Lockerbie together visiting with you in 2009. Gladstone Dainty is a lightning rod in U.S. cricket. He's a very controversial figure, uh, long longtime president of the USA Cricket Association, constant allegations of election fraud and other unsavory things in in his tenure because he, he served for more than a decade and there was a lot of mismanagement. USA Cricket wound up being suspended three times by the ICC during his tenure until they were finally expelled in, in 2017. And so I think a lot of the the curiosity from people outside of U.S. cricket is how on earth could this guy keep getting reelected in spite of all these clear challenges and, and poor so, governance issues? I didn't know anything about that. I'm just trying to help cricket in America, and I want to hold a tournament. That's all what, I care. That's so all what, I care what was your relationship like with him then? From the first time you met him, I guess, what were your first impressions in, in your interaction with him, and, and what happened over the course of time? Well, I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I... I mean, I didn't deal with him on a daily basis. I eventually became staff to staff. Uh, and I don't, I mean, frankly, if you walk by me right now, I probably wouldn't know him. But the, uh, but I, he didn't give me the impression that anything was going to go wrong. But it was pretty clear that they were not happy with what we were doing. Uh, and I don't know if that guy's we were taking away his mojo or uh, I don't know what it was. But I, I just know that uh, their staff they became incommunicado. That's just what they did. And so you can't move on with ESPN and, uh, you know, all, all the people that I've got involved in this. And it was, I mean, we grew this from zero. And all of a sudden I got, you know, I got 40 people in staff meetings. I got subcommittees. I got everything going on. And you're like, my partner, USA Cricket, is nowhere. And it was, it was embarrassing, frankly. And, and uh, so I was, I was, I was, not not happy, to say the least. Do you feel that that whole fiasco that unfolded over the course of 2013 and 2014 in particular, as the cricket stadium, or the, sorry, excuse me, what was meant to be, I guess, a cricket stadium, wound up being turned into more of a cricket field, per se, rather than a genuine stadium facility. Do you feel that that, that kind of subver- subversion and sabotage, in a sense, by, by USACA, did that impact the plans for for the facility and and did that play any role in it going from like you said the the modular stadium seating plan into a more scaled down process because of what happened with USACA basically burning the city in in that 2014 time frame I, I i don't know that i would say that i'm not uh, i think probably before all of that we had already decided to make a, a modular stadium uh, as needed as opposed to uh, building the stadium. And that might have been do something again with that Times of India article where it kind of got blown up and says, why is the mayor building a cricket stadium when nobody knows what cricket is in the city of Indianapolis and all this other stuff that he said. So um, so I, we, we had probably already downsized. I wasn't downsizing the cabling or, or the ability to put in uh, refreshment stands and locker rooms and things like that. 
those were all still kind of going forward. It might have been temporary going forward, but we were going to make sure they were nice. They were not going to be, uh, you know, lightweight kind of plate uh, facilities. Uh, we wanted to have something really special there. We still got the practice facilities in there, I think, which was great. But uh, and we got the great fields. I mean, we absolutely got the great fields, the great those great pitches. And so I, I don't know. I I do know that uh, between the castle coming and saying we want to make the city cricket proof and USA Cricket uh, just being horrible to us, uh, all the all the influencers that was around me that would have kind of helped this thing out and move this thing forward. They, they started to fall apart at that point in time. Still got the fields built. Still got the, still got all those hurling fields and cricket fields and everything built. And I'm assuming that the, uh, that cricket uh, pitch is still being used. I hope so at least. One of the other things you touched on there was the ICC's involvement and the ICC, you said you had a good relationship with them. I did. They had the, the tournament there in 2015, the ICC America's championship, USA cricket, then, in the transition period after USA Cricket Association was suspended in June 2015, the ICC had organized the ICC America's Combines event, which took place in September 2015. And then the transition administration called Project USA had the USA national team come and place a series of matches against uh, an MCC Marleybone Cricket Club touring side in September 2016 again. And then also the USA women's team had a camp in June 2017 ahead of their next ICC qualification event. But there's been no international activity in Indianapolis at the facility since then. And you also mentioned the there were discussions to have not just USA cricket potentially move their headquarters to Indianapolis when Don Lockerbie was still involved, but also the ICC potentially moving their headquarters from Toronto to Indianapolis. Instead, they chose Colorado Springs. Did you feel like, looking back, you were misled in any way, or you feel like they they kind of presented something to you and 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 kind of backed out and uh, just kind of left you hanging in, in terms of the city and and what you were offering and what you were really selling them on in terms of coming in and investing in Indianapolis or, or did things unfold in a different way from your perspective? You mean the ICC? Yes. Or, oh, no, no. ICC was great the entire way. I, uh, they were up front with me. They were enthusiastic. Uh, I think if I had run for a third term, uh, assuming I would win, I, the ICC North America might be in Indianapolis. Uh, but, uh, because I think we could have kept that. I think we could have kept it going nicely. Like I said, it, it did keep going for a while anyway. And uh, and no one wants, no one should want to throw away a great uh, facility like that. But uh, so no, I, I thought the ICC was great all along to me. It really did. And, and I'll never say a bad word about them because I thought they were tremendous. I think they were in a in an awkward situation because of their representative in America was this group, which was bizarre, whereas the ICC was. Um, really terrific and and i i mean i met with the icc folks in uh dc one time when i was up there i mean they they were they were they were great and they came to came to india to talk to me and i thought that they were they were terrific they knew what i was trying to do but i i do think they were caught between a rock and a hard place with uh usa cricket the events that were held there that i just mentioned a, a bit earlier the icc america's t20 championship may 2015 the icc america's combine i remember you had uh in that september 
event that was organized by the ICC. There were the three legend coaches that, that came around that were part of the event. Courtney Walsh from the, from the West Indies, Mike Young, who's an American, but spent a lot of time coaching in Australia, was a, a three-time World Cup winner as a coach, and then Venkatapati Raja from India. I remember um, uh, in between, it, it was held over two weekends, and in between uh, the first weekend and the second weekend, there was a Jets-Colts Monday night football game. I think it was the night that Jeff Saturday had his number inducted into the Ring of Honor at Lucas Oil Stadium, and you had actually welcomed them up. You hosted them. In uh, in one of the boxes, uh, Courtney Walsh, Mike Young, and the ICC staff. Uh, so, so there was quite a good relationship there, and and you were quite involved. What was your impression of of just the events that were staged there that you went to, and the community support that you offered around that? What was your impression? What was your take on on the events that the ICC did organize? I thought they were well run. I, I was. Frankly, I was more disappointed in the response from Indianapolis and the fans of Indianapolis. But the unfortunately, the uh, the Democratic members of the council and, and along with some local media help, it kind of kind of put a damper on on a, on a few of the things. All that said, it didn't stop us from building uh, those uh, those great fields uh, in in the, all those sports. And I was really proud of the cricket one because ICC said uh, you know it was such a fabulous um, cricket pitch. But uh, but I, I I mean what. ICC did, I thought was terrific. I was a little bit more disappointed that we couldn't get more people out there from Indianapolis. It was, you may remember that the uh, T20 event, the uh, qualifying event was bad weather though. <laughs> so it wasn't great weather either, but uh, there were some people that came out every day, I know, but it wasn't, wasn't very many of them. And that's, I think I was more disappointed in that than anything that the ICC did at all. I, I liked what the ICC did and I liked that they hung with us despite, I think they knew I was having some trouble locally with this thing, but uh, but we also stuck to our guns and, and kept going with it. You mentioned the lack of, of community support or, or fan support. I actually had a slightly different perspective on it. What I found quite fascinating was that, and this is not unique to Indianapolis within the context of U.S. cricket, in various parts of the country, Raleigh, North Carolina is an example at Church Street Park at the facility that they've got out there. Uh, certain events I've seen in, in New York and down in Lauderhill. There's also an event that took place back in 2009 in Minneapolis. There was a cricket facility up there. And one of the things I found unique is that in America, the traditional cricket centers would would most likely be New York, Southern California, Northern California, uh, Florida, and I guess you could say Houston now has been growing quite rapidly. And all the cricket events in those places never draw anybody in big cricket playing communities and cricket engaged communities. And yet in a, in a place like Indianapolis or Raleigh or Minneapolis, where again, even in the context of us cricket, these are not strong holds of, of big populations of, of what would be regarded as, as cricket fans or the uh, traditional um, immigrants from traditional cricket communities in South Asia and West, the West Indies. Um, the people who did come out, and I think the best attended day for that ICC event, part of the issue with with lack of fans was a lot of the games were midweek. So it started on a Saturday, ended on a Saturday, I believe. And on the two Saturdays, there was actually quite good turnout. In the, in the middle of the week, there was maybe a dozen or two dozen people there. But on the first Saturday and the last day, the last Saturday in particular, I remember there, there had to be at least 500 people, maybe closer to 700, 800, which for U.S. cricket is pretty good for a local field. But... I would say 95 to to 99% of those people were just 
sports fans, general sports fans in Indianapolis who weren't really interested in cricket. They were interested in supporting a USA national team. Right. And they heard that there was a USA national team playing. It could have been, it could have been, forget USA basketball or USA track yeah. and field. It could have been USA tiddlywinks. And they would have shown up because they want to support USA. And so all these people from from random people who had never seen cricket before, and I was walking in the, around the boundary t- talking with people trying to have conversations, learn where, how they found out of the event because they didn't come during the week. They were working during the week. And almost every single one was a first-time watcher who just thought, hey, this, is, this sounded kind of cool, USA national team. We just wanted to support the national team. And it was the handful of cricket fans who were there, traditional cricket fans from from – I remember, I think there was a guy from from St. Vincent or St. Lucia and a, a couple Indian um, immigrants there. And their response was like, oh, oh, my gosh, I didn't I didn't even know we had a cricket facility in Indianapolis. And there was a very strange juxtaposition there in terms of the general sports fan who is part of the community found out about this event with relative ease and was more than willing to come out to support it. And yet the cricket fans and the people who would be traditionally considered part of the cricket community weren't really that interested and didn't really support it that well. So from that standpoint, were you disappointed? I know you said there was general disappointment with regards to the level of support that the facility got. But specifically, did you, were you disappointed, I guess, within the, the, the people who would generally be associated with the cricket community, especially considering, like you said, going back, Hyderabad is the sister city. You, you've gone through a lot of efforts to strengthen the, the bond with the Indian and the Indian immigrant community. I mean, what was your perspective on that? Yeah, I, I was uh, I, I was a, a little probably a little disappointed. Uh, you know, I was I, I was still close to the Indian community. I was I was the chair of the Indiana India Business Community uh, Council until December of last year, so I'm still very close to them. But I I, I really thought more of them would come out, uh, especially on the weekends. Because they they play cricket in in the summer and spring and the summer they play cricket every Saturday. I mean they're out there. I mean tennis ball cricket, but they're out there all the time. And I got invited to their events all the time, and I went. Um, so I, I was hoping to have a few more of those out there, more of them out there also. But but it was okay. I mean I was to, to be fair, I, I was really proud that Indianapolis was hosting a World Cup qualifier in T20. I was really proud of that. Uh, and I thought our efforts uh, in that regard were, were great. I just, I'm used to a little bit more fan support in Indianapolis, but uh, like you say, it, it was it was mixed. You're right, during the week, and I went out there during the week, uh, probably more than, I don't, I'm not sure I was out there on either Saturday, but uh, but it was, uh, maybe I was just worn out by then. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, maybe I was, but I, you know, I I put so much personal effort into this because, I thought this was a wonderful thing. It's the second largest sport in the world, for God's sake, you know, and Indianapolis should be a part of it. That's how I saw that. And uh, so I was maybe, like I say, maybe I was just worn out between what happened with USA cricket and what was happening politically, locally. Uh, but uh, I, I, I'm still, I'm still happy that we put it out there. We took, you know, like I say, acres and acres of waist high weeds and made all these great fields uh, and all these different sports. And I was really proud of that. As somebody who, who comes from outside the, the traditional cricket fan base and community, somebody new to the sport, especially somebody new to the sport as an adult, there's all these stereotypes about, oh, if you're going to get people involved in cricket, you got to get them young, got to them in as kids, because once they're adults, especially Americans, it's 
it's past the point of no return and, and you're never going to convert him. You're obviously a big convert, uh, believer in the sport. What appeals to you most about cricket? And I guess what first caught your eye about the game when you first uh, went to a game, mentioning all the facilities you went to around the world, like you say, Lords in Australia and various other places? Oh, that's easy. It's actually people's passion for the sport. I mean, it was it was pretty obvious. And uh, I don't know if it was my first or second trip to India. I can't remember, but I remember the uh, the Premier League was having their championships. Uh, the final two teams tonight was one. I can't remember the other one. But it was on the front page of the newspapers, and it was the lead story in all the TVs, TV news, also. And I thought, wow, this is this is really something. I think so. Anything like that kind of draws me anyway. Like, you know, what is this about? And, and I, uh, more than anything else, it wasn't, wasn't the, I mean, I, I know that cricket and baseball have some sort of mutual origin, I would assume somewhere along the line, but the, uh, at least from what I understand, but uh, it, was, it was really people's passion for the sport that I think uh, I was mostly interested in. I, the, the rules were funny, how people, uh, you know, the batters I, is is interesting in, in how they do it. Uh, and um, so that, that part I thought was pretty interesting. I don't know if you've ever seen King Ralph, the movie with uh, John Goodman in it. Yeah, have you seen that? <laughs> I have not. I know the movie. I've never seen it, but I, I do I remember it. Yeah. Well, the, the, you know, do you know the premise of it where he becomes the king? Yeah. He's a Las Vegas lounge singer and becomes the king. Right? So they, they're trying to teach him cricket. and. <laughs> And he gets when he breaks the window way out there because he's got a baseball swing. He breaks the window way out there, and uh, and he starts raising his hands ah! <laughs> like this. And, and so I mean, and everybody's looking at him so funny. I mean, it, I mean, those are the sorts of things I guess I remember about this. But uh, but I think mainly it was the fact that two things I saw in India what was happening, and I also saw in Indianapolis with the cricket community where they, how passionate they were that they were playing on a modified softball field with a tennis ball and they loved it and they had their own little tournaments that would and they had little, their own little regional tournaments and that would come in i thought yeah this is this is kind of neat it has the same feeling that i kind of have with robotics when i brought robotics into the city and so i thought yeah this is really neat we got we got to look at this so that that's really what it was I know from talking with Mayor Kaplan down in Water Hill and some of the city officials in, in North Carolina, they've got mixed views as to whether they would actually encourage a city official in another place if, if they were contemplating allocating government funds and committing to, to building a cricket facility, whether it's actually really worth it or whether it's just going to be a white elephant and it's just going to sit there and, and not really be used. Considering your experiences what would you recommend or what what advice would you give to any city official who potentially in the near future a little bit further down the road is, is contemplating building a cricket facility for the community and the benefits and the positives and negatives and and you know having gone through what you went through what would be your recommendation whether to pursue it or or to think about allocating that money money somewhere else no i, I Actually, I was glad I did. It was kind of funny. I always joke, and uh, I said this a lot to uh, to people, that I spent $5 million on a field of something called Rebuild Any Money, which was kind of designated for this sort of thing on some level. And I got and I got the hell beat out of me, but then I spent $10 million refurbishing a regular park, and everybody thought I was a hero, right? <clears throat> I took all these waste-high weeds down, <clears throat> excuse me, and made a something out of nothing. And I like it was tough rope, but I spent $10 million on this already existing park and just made it better and the difference on that was illuminating to me. But what I would tell them to do is try to make it a, I, I think it's 
take a piece of land that's not as useful, uh, that's kind of fallow, and uh, make it some sort of uh, multi-use park and put the put great cricket pitches in there. That's what I would tell them to do. And um, because, uh, as you found out in Indianapolis, you can attract people with, with great grounds. Uh, and you can build around it if you need to uh, for something. But I, uh, I I would take some sort of land that is not being used as well as it could be used um, and put other things in there. I mean, the hurling community uh, east of the Mississippi raves about that World Sports Park. And I, was, I mean, they couldn't wait to come play on that on that thing year after year. So, I, uh, and so I, I think that helped out a little bit with with me uh, doing that. But uh, if you're going to build something by itself, uh, depending on where the community, the community, the makeup of the community, you might you might get in a little bit of trouble. But I, uh, I think some of the trouble that I got into was self-inflicted by being being naive about the political opposition, if you will. Uh, but uh, but it was still a good thing to do because we, now we have these great facilities that were worthless uh, before I, uh, I tore down all those weeds. So I, that's what I would do. Uh, and I, I think it's worth it. I, I think little by little, we can still get cricket there. I just, I do wish the headquarters was going to be in Indianapolis. And I do wish Indianapolis, frankly, became the capital of cricket in America. I do. I, but uh, that may not be in the future. But I think some city... Uh, who has a mayor and maybe some uh, influencers around him who can kind of help do that sort of thing. Yeah. I, I think that could be done. I, I, unfortunately it will probably, when it actually gets to that point, it will probably default to LA, San Francisco or New York or something like that, which will bother me. I wish it was going to be somebody else, but it will probably default that way. But I hope somebody does take hold of it. I, I, I would have loved to have, you know, the St. Louis and the Houston and the LA and the New York cricket teams come to Indianapolis to have a little tournament uh, with our best cricket t- uh, people in the city. And uh, I thought that would have been a wonderful thing to do. Unfortunately, we did not get that done. You touched on that a couple of times. And just, again, thinking back to the fact that there was quite a cluster of events between 2015 and 2017, and then nothing from the USA Cricket or ICC perspective since June 2017. It's close to four years now. What, if anything, do you think can be done by city officials, Republican or Democrat or otherwise, to encourage people uh, to rebuild that relationship with USA Cricket and cricket officials to encourage them to get cricket events back going again in in Indianapolis so that the facility does not uh, lie dormant, at least from a cricket perspective. I know it's a multi-purpose facility. It's used for hurling. It's used for soccer and a lot of other things. But from cricket, it's it's just, in my mind, a brilliant facility that's unfortunately not being utilized. And there's been some minor league, there's a minor league and a major league franchise T20 cricket competition that's starting up in the next year or two. And of the six major league franchises and the 24 minor league franchises around the country, not a single one has been designated for Indianapolis, despite the fact that a lot of those other cities are only utilizing artificial facilities. And yet you've got a genuine natural turf cricket facility in Indianapolis that has been overlooked. So what would you say to encourage Indianapolis? And what would you say to the cricket officials on the U.S. cricket side? A new administration came in in 2018. What would you say to them to encourage them to come back to Indianapolis? Well, I, uh, that, that's going to be tough. I, I, I'm not sure that my successor, he knows that he's a, he's a Democrat, good guy, nice guy. But I just don't think he was interested 
uh, in this. And this is a park facility. This is not a separately privately owned facility or anything like that. Yeah, so it's a park facility and they allocate monies toward it. So they they have to decide that they want to do that sort of thing. I, I don't think they, uh, they're big on programming uh, sports uh, sports events that are not part of which you would call our regular rotation, like the Indianapolis 500 and Final Fours and Colts game, things like that, and which I think is unfortunate because I, I think growing things from scratch, I think, is a lot of fun and, and can uh, can really be meaningful um, in lots of ways. If the ICC and or, or you know, I don't know who's running USA Cricket now, but if they would get in there and say, we'll, we'll help you out with this, we'll help you out with some of the funding here because we know you've got a great facility, that might be of interest to them, but I'm, I'm not sure. I, I uh, Because they're they're kind of on the side of the people that, beat me up and wanted a cricket proof Indianapolis right so uh so that that could uh, you may have to wait for a new administration to get in but um but I I I hope the the uh the grounds out there are still in great shape or good enough shape to recoup uh to do that but I think you're uh unless somebody privately wants to take those take charge of this thing but it's a it's a public facility it's a public park uh that has merit outside of cricket but I think you're. I think you're gonna have to see if the uh, if the administration really wants to go there, or somebody else would kind of help out with uh, additional dollars. Last thing I want to do with you, do this with all the guests. We run through rapid fire best eleven, best eleven, first eleven. Ask eleven uh, questions. Eleven questions. Try and keep it light and fun. I hope they're not related to cricket. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Are you ready? You ready to rock and roll? Sure. sure. All right. So typically, when I interview a player, I ask him who their favorite uh, roommate is as a player on tour. I'll, I'll ask you a slightly different alteration to the question: Your favorite roommate or bunkmate in the Marines? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah, it was probably uh, we're not necessarily bunkmates, but it's a guy I spent a lot of time with uh, in tents, and that's sort of thing during the Gulf War. Uh, uh, a guy named uh, Major McClure in the in the Gulf War back in the, in uh, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait. So that was I was very close to him uh, during that time frame, and uh, I was the operations officer for the battalion. He was the executive officer for the battalion, so he was uh, that was somebody I really really enjoyed. Uh, kind of we did, you know, we were in the same tent all the time essentially through that war. Your favorite military base or the city of military base that you were stationed in around the world during your time in the Marines. Wow, that's a great question. I had so much fun. Uh, Camp Pendleton was a great place. I probably did not take advantage of it, but uh, as well as I should have because I was so young. But uh, I think our kids grew up, kind of grew up as little kids in Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. So I'd have to say that. All that said, I got I to gotta tell you, uh, my wife and I spent a year living out in town in Okinawa, Japan, uh, in a small apartment. We didn't live on base. That was wonderful. That was that was a great time. So within the U.S., you would say Camp Lejeune, but outside the U.S., you would say Okinawa. Okinawa, but we were off base doing it. Yeah. I mean, we went on base all the time. Obviously, we were a half mile from the base, but off. But that was that was great fun. Your best or most memorable cricket ground experience, whether in the USA or or overseas. Oh. Uh, USA, uh, there's no question about it. When we had IU Purdue come do the initial cricket match at the World Sports Park, that was meaningful to me. Outside had to be Lords uh, because I was I was in line and they were 
I was there and some the person who was supposed to meet me there wasn't there. And so I kind of got in the line for the tours and I got to the to the ticket lady and she said she looked at me and she goes, Are you Mayor Ballard? <laughs> I thought I'm in London, England. How the hell how does she know that? Right? I said, Well, yes, I am. She goes, please step aside. <laughs> and then and then uh, somebody came and uh, took my wife and I on a on a personal tour, took us through the, all the facilities, the seating, the locker rooms, and everything. Uh, and that was a wild experience, and that was a lot lot of fun. And uh, that's I really remember that really well. I remember the uniqueness of that of that pitch too, how slanted it was. Yeah. Did you go on a match day itself, or was this an, a non-match day that you took the, the no, tour? No match, no, not at all. All right, your favorite place to eat out on the road outside of Indianapolis? Oh, we're a routine. <laughs> it could be fast food. Could could be a specific place that's only in one city. We, we like Texas Roadhouse uh, wherever we go because we like those uh, that bread with cinnamon butter. Are you a Coke or a Pepsi guy? You know, I'm neither right now. But when I was growing up, it was Pepsi. Pepsi. Uh, but I drink a lot of Mountain Dew. There's stories about me and the mayor of Mountain Dew, but uh, I drink a lot of Mountain Dew when I was the mayor. I, I did uh, read about the Mountain Dew. I had come across that in some of my yeah, research. But, but uh, yeah, I drink I, I drink more Pepsi than Coke, no question about that. Your favorite athlete, any sport? Oh. I don't, I'm not sure I think in those terms, but uh, I never think of best and worst and that sort of thing. But I... Uh, I do I do admire the tenacity of Michael Jordan, but I think the beauty of the game for me comes from Larry Bird. French Lick, Indiana boy. And I know I'm a little biased because I know him, but he was so much fun. In the last six months or so, I've been going on YouTube to uh, look at these little videos of other players talking about his trash talking on the court. And he said he's going to do this to me, and then he he did it. I knew he was going to do it. And he still did it, did it anyway. I mean, it's so. I mean, you could just laugh for uh, like ten hours watching the, the uh, YouTube videos about Bird's trash talking, and because uh, he's he's a great guy, he's a serious guy, uh, but he's a great he's a great guy. But I, I love the beauty of that. Uh, my favorite player, baseball player, growing up was Bill Mazeroski, the second baseman for the Pittsburgh Pirates, who hit that 1960 homer in the bottom of the ninth to beat the Yankees. He was second baseman. And I was. I, I loved turning double plays like him. So that was my favorite player growing up. My favorite football player was uh, Ray, Raymond Berry, the receiver. Colts. Johnny, Baltimore Colts. Not the Indianapolis Colts. Baltimore Colts. Baltimore Colts. And uh, Johnny Knight threw to him all the time. And uh, he came to uh, a Colts game one time when I was the mayor, and I got a picture with him. I was thrilled with that. Raymond Berry was my favorite football player. Bill Mazeroski, my favorite basketball player. Your favorite. <laughs> Indianapolis sports moment. Well, um, it was probably the 10 days of the Super Bowl because uh, we had put that together and people, it was such a joyous time in the city and, it, and we got 60 degree weather in the middle, in the early part of February, which is crazy. And it, it got cold the day after the game. It was hilarious. Uh, but people were so joyous. Uh, in the city about their city being on this international stage and pulling off so well. So I think uh, sports related, that would be, that would be the moment, the, the uh, individual moment in a game or game or whatever would be the, uh, 
the Colts and Kansas City playoff game, and I can't remember which year. I was still a mayor. I do remember that, but uh, where Kansas City got out like 25 or 28 points, and Indianapolis came back and beat them by three. You know, Andrew Luck, great guy, by the way. He's a wonderful guy. But you know, they, they always had a habit of getting down and then coming back. And that one kind of went back and forth in the fourth quarter, and we were just going nuts through all of it. And that was that was a really, really, really exciting game. The, the the Super Bowl you mentioned before that is the one that the city hosted Indianapolis. So is it, it, now is that the one that the, the Giants beat the Patriots? It was. It was. It was. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, Patriots are not loved in Indianapolis only because it was Tom Brady versus Peyton Manning for so long, right? Really, yeah. that was it. I, I actually admired Patriots' excellence all along. I mean, to be that excellent for so long takes something, and I, I admire that. But the quarterback for uh, Giants was Eli. And of course. Eli was Peyton's brother, and there was no question who was Indianapolis was rooting for in that game. Absolutely, no. It, two, the two most recent Super Bowl wins were, yeah, Arizona Giants beating the Patriots in Arizona, and then in Indianapolis said yeah. Lucas Oil. So Giants fan, it sticks out in my mind. I can remember the Rose Bowl in '86, and then a Tampa in '90. The other two Super Bowl wins for the Giants, but yes, I I, I should tell you, you're a Giants fan. Big time. We, we had our family had season tickets for 46 years. We had them uh, going back to, I think, 1960 or 61 in Yankee Stadium was when my dad first got them. And then we had them up until that that uh, 2007 Super Bowl season where they beat the Patriots the first time. And then we gave them up when they moved into the new MetLife Stadium. And it was a case of if you want to keep your season tickets, you need to pay twenty thousand dollars in personal seat license fees. Oh, yeah. He said bye bye. Yeah, it, it was good being a fan. I, I will tell you though the um, you know when you're the mayor you, you go to all these different things uh, and one of them is always the owners dinner uh, during that Super Bowl week and I, I me I sat next to Roger Goodell for three hours we had a great discussion he, he's I like him a lot and all the owners are there and you kind of meet a lot of them I met a lot of them along the way anyway the previous three or four years anyway but uh, after the game uh, you know we hosted all the owners in the city. After the game, two people called me or wrote me of the owners. Both of them were the Giants owners. Thanking me for what we did. Indianapolis did a wonderful job. One called me, one left me a little note. I was, I'm thinking, boy, that's a class organization. That's what I thought. This is John Mara and Steve Tisch or? or... Yeah. 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 I think that, yeah, I think I know Mara was one of them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah, and Tish sounds like the other one, yeah. Yeah. It, it, was, a, it was a good moment for me. I, I really appreciated them doing that. Uh, I was trying to think if it was uh, Mrs. Mara, the, the matriarch, who is the wife of uh, Wellington Mara, who passed away. No, it was John Mara. Yeah. Your favorite pizza topping? I don't eat pizza. I don't eat cheese, so I don't eat pizza. I, I don't know why I just kind of grew up like that. I don't eat bacon either. i got to be the only guy in the world that doesn't eat bacon. So that, that's a trick. I'm drink coffee. That's a, that's, a that's a trick question then. Favorite yeah. pizza topping, there is no pizza topping. So I'll, th I'll throw in a substitute question quick. Who, who would you prefer, Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck, or John Unitas? Oh, that's a horrible question to be asking me. I'm not <laughs> sure I should be answering that question at all. Uh, uh, I, I, I can't really answer who's the favorite. I, I, will, I will tell you that I'll tell you a little bit about each one to go through, but I, I admire the fact that Johnny Unitas came from where he came from and had that much of an impact on the game. That I thought was remarkable. The Peyton Manning that you see in the commercials, that kind of dry humor, that's him. That's actually him. 
he's not acting. That's who he is. And uh, he's a he's a wonderful guy. And Andrew is just a he's just a really smart geek. And uh, so and, and I like I like all the quirkiness about people anyway. I like all the differences in people. So, but I don't want to say anything favorite because I don't I don't want to diss anybody on that one because they're all terrific. <laughs> <laughs> a geek Andrew Luck. I would expect nothing less from a Stanford graduate to, to hear that about Andrew Luck. He's, he's a good guy. His dad's a great guy. All right. Your favorite movie? Uh, I'm going to have to go with Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. Bill Murray. I, I thought that was really unique when it came out. And I uh, I really, really enjoyed that. I, I mean, there's some classic movies I like. Uh, I watched Ben Hur a lot. Uh, uh, I actually uh, I watch it more than almost anybody probably. Uh, I like those old time movies and Spartacus and those sorts of things. I really like those sorts of things. But I, I think for the the one that gives me the most fun on a routine basis would probably be Ghostbusters. So if Gus, Ghostbusters is coming across on the TV and it's like halfway through, if you see it coming across the screen, you stay on the channel and you watch it to the end. Oh sure, oh sure. That's that's your that's your movie. Doesn't matter what stage it is. In the middle of the movie, you, you, once you find it on, you keep it on to the end. Absolutely, I, I, I watch a lot. I watch movies over and over again. And I one movie I watch routinely is Moneyball. I love Moneyball. I like that he took it on. You know, it's hard to take on, and uh, the first, you know, the first guy through gets all the arrows, right? And, and other people, uh, have, you know, make it work, make it work. And so I, I, I like those sorts of movies too. So. Another great one is Antoine Fisher. I don't know if you've ever seen Antoine Fisher. Watch it was a military movie from memory. He was in the Navy, but yeah. Yep. But that was, that's, boy, that is a good movie. That is a good movie. I almost said that one as my favorite movie, but that, that's really a good movie. Your favorite show to binge watch, whether it's on Netflix, Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, any streaming service, or if there's some sort of DVD box set that you have, what, what's your, your favorite show that you binge watch? In the, oh, there's, several but i i didn't watch game of thrones i didn't know what all that was about uh i because it started i i never get anything from the beginning but i actually watched game of thrones three times since after it was done i started watching it and i actually watched it three times in the last couple of years um so i uh i again some of that stuff that i watched is pretty quirky stuff uh cobra kai <laughs> I love Cobra Kai. Yeah. I love Cobra Kai. Uh, I mean, just things like that. Uh, I, uh, there was one recently about, I can't remember the name of it, about a uh, Silicon Valley guy who invents a, uh, invents a product, a, an IT product, and becomes a very rich and famous, and then he screws it all up and, and all of that. That was pretty funny stuff. But, uh, but Cobra Kai, I like the Cobra Kai. I hope, I'm waiting for the next season. There's also something called Glow out there. Gorgeous ladies are wrestling. I don't know if you've seen that or not. I've heard of it. I've heard of it. It was uh, when that when the next season comes out, my wife and I will binge watch that over a day or two to get them all done. So, but we yeah we watch we watch a few of those. We didn't used to, but we do now. So, Game of Thrones I I find interesting from the standpoint of uh, the fact that I guess superficially it's billed as a a fantasy show, but I think of it more in terms of of The Sopranos. Sopranos is my number one. But a lot of these HBO shows, superficially, people would look at The Sopranos and say, oh, it's about mobsters. When in reality, The Sopranos and Game of Thrones, I felt, were more, so much more deeply entwined in politics and family relations 
and just the subtleties of of how yeah family and politics intertwine and you know, game of thrones yeah it's set in a fantasy realm but game of thrones could be set in 2020 or game of thrones could be set in the 1950s or you know like the sopranos is set in north in north jersey in the 90s whatever and those themes translate universally and that's that's what i appreciated so much about game of thrones um you know the fantasy element was was neither here nor there i just i just really found fascinating all the the way the political um negotiations and politics intertwined in 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 the course of I, I agree with all that. They just use the fantasy, I think, to get the people in, which, which is fine. I was, I, I always think of those things in terms of power, just absolutely blatant Machiavellian power through the whole yeah. thing. Right? And the other thing that I mean, my son told me to look at it, because uh, after um, the, the last se- the last episode of the first season, uh, North was it? Who's the North? Is it Ned North? Who the guy? The good guy who got his Ned Stark. Player. Ned Stark. Yeah. Ned Stark. I thought I had called my son up, who's a screenwriter, and I said, "What's that about? The good guys are supposed to last." He goes, "Not, not in Game of Thrones. The good guys get killed all the time." I thought, "Well, that's different," and it was different. The good guys get killed all the time. But I was—I'm quirky about this. I never watch a sitcom really as it goes. Yeah. I watched. I didn't see Seinfeld ever. I, I've never seen anything of The Sopranos. Never, not one episode. I never saw Seinfeld until last year. Uh, I started watching it occasionally. I mean. I, I don't know why that is. Maybe it's some something from the Marine Corps where I wasn't able to watch these things. Either, but I only watch them usually when their run is done, which is interesting. All right. Your, your last question, Best 11. This is an Indianapolis special. Besides the shrimp cocktail, what is the best menu item at St. Elmo's in terms of a steak? <laughs> What's your go-to steak? Do you go for a porterhouse, a New York strip, a ribeye, a filet mignon? What's your go-to steak? Yeah, you know, you know I don't eat. I don't eat any seafood, so I don't ever eat that shrimp, which is too bad because I know that there's hilarious stories about the shrimp at the Super Bowls in Dallas, which is hilarious. Go go on YouTube and look at Sugar Ray Leonard, Mitch Daniels, our governor, and St. Elmo's shrimp cocktail. Hilarious story. Uh, but uh, I always get a filet. Filet mignon, my kind of guy. Like, now how do you get it cooked? I, I'm a medium rare guy. How do you get yours cooked? Uh, medium. I, I'll get it medium. I'll get it Slightly medium. a little bit more done. Medium's all right. I mean, some people will get it well done. I just, I just I, I don't understand those folks. No, filet. You know, when I go to a nice steakhouse, I pretty much come out with a filet every time. Uh, I really do, and I like it. It's clean. It's neat. It all goes down, and it's wonderful. So, get two thumbs up in my book for that. <laughs> well. Mayor Ballard, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast and all the sh- stories you had to share about cricket in Indianapolis and how that evolved during your tenure as the mayor of Indianapolis and just all the, the fascinating stories you had to share about be- life before cricket in the Marines and after cricket. And I'll just give you the final word. Is there anything you want to tell watchers and listeners out there about just what you're doing nowadays or anything else that uh, about cricket in Indianapolis uh, or anything else about, about the city of Indianapolis that you want to share about your time there? Well, I, I like I said, I was hoping that uh, Indianapolis would become cricket center in, for the United States, but I'm not sure that's going to happen in the near future. But I, I would suggest that it's a sport that I want America to embrace 
and uh, as rapidly as possible because it's a huge sport around the world. Uh, it means so much to so many people. Uh, and uh, I, th I think it's a wonderful sport that people could really get engaged with. So I, I, I just, I know it took soccer a long time to get, to get going, but now it's pretty routine. And I'm hoping that uh, the country understands that this is something that is played worldwide and is important to a lot of people. And I want us to get involved with it. And that's really what I want to happen. I was hoping to kind of catapult Indianapolis into, into the lead on that, but uh, that may not happen. But at the same time, I want the sport to succeed in America. And I wish the ICC the absolute best uh, in the future. And I hope that USA Cricket does, does well in the future too. Well, there you have it. Mayor Greg Ballard, former mayor of Indianapolis, thank you so much for coming on the show. Pleasure, Peter. Thanks for having me. I very much appreciate it. I hope you all enjoyed that interview with Mayor Greg Ballard. What a fun, engaging guy he is, and again, a great advocate for the sport of cricket, not just in the USA, but around the world. And as you could see, he holds in his home pride of place a signed cricket bat from what was the 2012 Tri-Series in Australia, featuring Australia, Sri Lanka, and India. And there's some really big names with their signatures on that cricket bat, including Virat Kohli and MS Dhoni, and I have asked Mayor Ballard afterward if he's ever thought about putting that bat on eBay he could fetch a pretty penny but he said absolutely not he's holding on to that bat it has a very special place in his home it keeps it protected in a sleeve mint condition he's not losing hold of that he's still open to getting back involved in cricket today even though he's retired from political life in Indianapolis and down in Myrtle Beach South Carolina he said if there's anybody out there listening to the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast who wants him to get involved in cricket and wants some support for any cricket projects going forward he's all ears and he's ready to help out so by all means don't hesitate to get in contact with mayor greg boward so that's it for another edition of the stars and stripes cricket podcast presented by dream cricket a reminder to everybody go out and show your support on patreon go to patreon and sign up to be a subscriber of the podcast you can be a patriot you can be an eagle you can be a captain and there's all sorts of extra benefits you get by being a subscriber to the show on patreon and i I appreciate your support for those who already have. You can also follow me on Twitter at Peter Delapena. I also want to remind everybody to please like, subscribe on YouTube and also Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor FM. Come back again for another edition of the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast next week. That's it for now. I'm Peter Delapena. God bless America and God bless American cricket. <laughs>